default and they put it to built-in input. Yeah, what yeah. Man, it's always different with everybody. It's like it's a different maze, a different labyrinth um, to get them to have Discord working. It's it's always fun to, to kind of troubleshoot. But yeah. um, yeah, Christopher Heath Farham is that how to pronounce your last name or Parham? Uh either one, Parham, Parham, Par Parham. Parham. A lot of people, a lot of people put an M in there for some reason. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I wanted to bring you on, number one, because uh, we're kind of celebrating uh, the release of um, our first film together, uh, Affair. Um, you were the yep. uh, sort of the lead antagonist, if we'll call you that. Um, and you didn't have a single line of dialogue throughout the entire film. And one of the things that I always heard consistently from everybody that I showed the movie, um, you know, from, you know, casual film goers to like big time, you know, people he would want to see your for your short film. Everyone had something mm -hmm. good to say about your performance, man. So I, I just wanted to first off say, you know, that movie, and I've said it to you different ways, but that movie was would have been impossible without you. So as I thought about that, I was like, you know, as as integral as this guy has been in my artwork, I don't know him that well. <laughs> and like, you helped me out in so many different ways. You had us uh, let us use your podcast studio and me and Mike were, you know, uh, looking for a place to do our old podcast. I mean, there's so many different things I can trace back to, you know. I'm in that studio right now. Oh, awesome. So it's a blast from the past. But yeah, man, I mean, the, the, this is kind of why I wanted to bring you on is that there's so many p bits and pieces of um, my creative career where we cross paths or we work together, but we don't really know each other. So I wanted to get to know you a little bit, man. That's pretty cool. Uh, I have always wanted to be in uh, silent films, so that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and just, uh, you know, not having to rely on words. I think I think that's a, a pretty important thing, uh, especially as humans have evolved so much. Uh, we've learned to speak and uh, which speaking is just basically lying uh, to a degree. <laughs> yeah. Which is why we've grown to where it's very hard to read people. Because our body language pretty much tells you everything that needs to happen. You can't really lie, lie with body language. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's it's fun to like remove the the the, the vocals sometimes. Right. Like you pretty much just have to read what's happening. You know, back to like our animalistic nature, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, and and that's a good point because one of the things that happens like. Um, uh, when you're in a country where no one else speaks English, is that immediately you realize how little of communication actually, you know, the specifics of, 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 of communication require language. But when it comes to the basics of, of telling, you know, who's who's cool and who's not, who can help me and who can't, who can I talk to and who can't I, I mean, 90% of it is body language. And it's crazy how quickly that you, once you're stripped of your ability to speak, you immediately revert back to that and you realize how much of that really is what we're using for communication. The, the, the language really is just the window dressing in so many different ways. Um, and mm -hmm. so that's why, like, I think when, when, when you make a film without words, um, you're forcing the audience to kind of make the decisions about how those interactions, what those interactions really meant. Um, and within Affair, there's a lot of undeniable interactions. But then there's a lot of interactions that could be interpreted in a lot of different ways. Even from the script um, level, that was kind of the intention about it. But I wanted to know, I mean, before I met you, before um, we got into Affair, you were doing some improv and stuff like that. And I know that's something that really helped you out with Affair. Do you want to talk a little bit about that or what your background is? Um, as far as improv, uh, I've taken classes. Uh, most of the classes I've taken have been like week-long or weekend classes. Uh, but, you know, I've taken at different levels. Uh, I was in New York for like two or three months, like six years ago, you know, I followed a girl up there and that didn't work out. But, uh, you know, I, I was like, fuck, I'm in New York. So, you know, I, I went, I like, I basically lived at UCB theater for like a week or two. Are you serious? Uh, I didn't really? take too many classes there, but I went to a ton of shows. They had these other little uh, places around where some of the people there also went to, and they had like weekend classes and and a lot of it was like either free or super cheap and just, you know, it's kind of what I spent my time doing uh, was that taking shows. And then I left there and went to Chicago for three months and uh, I tried to enroll in like some long form writing classes, but they were all booked up. So I did, once again, I did all the free stuff and all the weekend stuff at uh, 
yeah. at Second City and uh, Improv Olympics. Uh, I met some yeah. cool people along the way, and then you know just hung out with theater people in college. So like improv has always kind of been that kind of background. Uh, and then you know I took a, I also uh, took some theater directing classes uh, in colleges as an offshoot of, of my major. So you know you kind of learn blocking and you yeah. learn. Um, you know, one of the main differences between theater and film is that with theater, you see everything, you know, right. film, you, you can focus on me walking down the hall or like focus on my right. face sitting at the breakfast table saying something, but theater, you see the entire house. Right. So you have to like keep everything kind of moving in a balance unless you're going to, you know, use lights to manipulate what the audience sees. Right, right, right. And yeah, I mean, theater acting is something I know very little about. I mean, what, what was your like front end experience from that? Like, how did you initially kind of get into theater? Um, <laughs> a church. Uh, okay. Honestly. I can relate uh, to that, man. I can relate to that. Let's, let's talk you know, about it. Most, most of us, you know, we, we did our time. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you know, like youth things and like, you know, your, your summer church things and there's always skits and little plays and uh it's it's funny that like there's a lot of people that kind of get their start whether it be acting directing singing it all kind of comes from either a church whatever faith or community which you know most of your mm -hmm. these small churches are more like community centers mm -hmm. uh at least the good ones the you know the good churches are community centers that, that throw in their religion yeah um, right right i mean that's where a lot of people learn that's where a lot of people start getting involved in sports as well very true uh, unless they have like a school that's you know like top of the line with all this right. stuff right yeah, your community centers and your churches is kind of the basis of of uh, developing a lot of people's artistic abilities, uh, or at least uh, allowing them to discover their artistic abilities. I would agree, totally. And where could you tell me again where you grew up? Uh, Shreveport. Okay, so you're Louisiana, but you don't mm -hmm. have an accent. What's up with that? Uh, it just kind of it's just kind of gone away over the years. Uh, partially, okay. uh, kind of getting rid of it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and then you know I went to some summer camps on the West Coast when I was young. Oh, and, uh, okay. And 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 partially, I think just trying to trying to get rid of it. Uh, you know, I've always I've always gone back and forth my whole life with like my dreams or what I want to do, but it all kind of boiled down to performance, uh, right? Of some sort, right? Uh, you know, when I was very young, I wanted to be a talk show host. Uh, and then when I was about 10, I wanted to direct music videos. And I still kind of want to. I think music videos be uh, a fun medium. Uh, but oh, yeah. I just, I, you know, I also knew a lot of great men in my family who were immediately judged by mm. their voice, um, which mm. isn't the worst thing to be judged by. But <laughs> What do you mean? What do you mean by that? There were great men that were judged by their voice. What does that mean? Well, you know, they... they they had that southern draw or the, yeah. that kind of, you know, they yeah. were just like judged as idiots because they, you know, they sounded like. Ah, uh, I see. I see. Well, the Shreveport. Southerner. Because the Shreveport's very redneck. Yes. I was going to say, I, I didn't want um, to, uh, I don't want to offend you, but the Shreveport. Oh, no, no, no. Full, full redneck. Uh, yeah. It's, it's very, it's very rednecky. Uh, and, you know, like. Unfortunately, in, in America, we, we still judge people. That's true. Yeah. Stupid, stupid reasons. That's true. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was that, that. I think that was a subconscious thing, uh, and then just you know, over the years, and hanging out with different people, and then my college. Even though I went to college in Shreveport, there's people from all over and international students that went there, and it just kind of faded away over time. I uh, see. To the point that I I can't even do a fake Southern accent. <laughs> it's not nah, that that's psychological down. suppression, sir. That, that that doesn't mean you lost it. It just means you're suppressing it psychologically, bro. Yeah, like it, <laughs> it sounds made up. Like when I was 21, I was waiting tables in the city I'd lived in for 21 years, and yeah, nobody believed I was from there. Yeah, you, no, you'd have a hard time. <laughs> A West Coast vibe. Yeah, yeah, you'd have a hard time convincing me that you were from Shreveport, man. Um, if I didn't, <laughs> if I didn't already know you, yeah, but, um, but so, so Shreveport, the churches, 
see, this is the thing that I love about um, people that I know from the South is that, you know, I, my, at least my father's side comes from a very deep Southern background. So like, it doesn't matter if you're white or black, like most people in the South have the same, uh, like growing up experience, especially at like certain socioeconomic levels. Like everybody went to church. Everybody got their first time of being on stage at church, you know, everybody got their first, you know, their first exposure to music at church, you know, like that's why I I think, um, uh, when I moved up North, like I grew up most of my life in Maryland, you know, with these godless heathens that live there and, um, no one else had that experience, you know, and I, I, uh, I would always, the godless heathens are actually about 30 miles (laughs) South of Maryland and DC. Yeah. Yeah, Well, we were, we were a little bit closer to DC. I'm like, so just to tell you why me and Mike, work together and why we were a little bit different is Mike is actually from Baltimore, right? Like Baltimore, mm-hmm. Baltimore. Um, you can even hear it when he says certain words, even though he, he'll swear to, 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 to the end of the grave that he's from California, which he is. He is from Marin County, but he's a Baltimore man. Now, yeah. I'm from the suburbs of D.C., so there's a split. Once you leave Baltimore County, it's a completely different culture. People, you know, start believing in Jesus again. There's, you know, gold ra- gold uh, plated roads and shining cities on hills. But he didn't see that side of Maryland. He saw the shitty, terrible, awful Baltimore side of Maryland. So, like, that's why he hates Maryland. That's why I'm such an advocate for it. Because we, we mm-hmm. both came from different sides of the same kind of coin. But, um, but, yeah, no, Maryland is technically a southern state, too. It's just because it's so close to the capital and you have so much influence from Washington and from, you know, people that – they come from political families, people who mm-hmm. that that's their politics is their resource. That's what's made them rich, you know, just like oil made Texans rich, you know. So you've got people that um, cling on to politics just as hard as, you know, a Texan oil baron would to fossil fuels. So, um, you know, I, I grew up around a lot of that and that doesn't really isn't conducive towards religion or even really creative performance. Um uh, one of the things that kind of characterized me growing up was that me and a few of my other friends were the only people that wanted to do like artistic things. Everybody else that I grew up with knew they were going to get a job at the NSA, like their parents have, or the FBI, yeah. or I mean these these were the resting grounds of a lot of these you know major government institutions. So a lot of these workers lived in the area that I lived in. So their their kids were never taught like be creative. They said you know make sure your your piss test is clean so you can get this you know, $80,000 a year job as a slave wrangler for the FBI, you know, mm-hmm. you um, can go to work and come home and, and, and repeat. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So for you, I mean, um, I mean, it was similar like that. Most people I knew were going into energy. Ah, okay. Okay. That was what I was going to ask. What was the major industry in Shreveport? Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, uh, oil and gas is, is all over the South, especially Louisiana and Texas. Um, and then trades. Mm. Mm. Uh, I mean, you know, most, a lot of people in my family were tradesmen. Right. Right. Uh, and I, tr- I tried to actually get into it, but, uh, my father didn't want to teach me or have me tag along really. But yeah, he really? did sheetrock. He does AC, he still does AC. Why did he not uh, want to, why didn't he want, want to show you? Not really sure. Uh, and then my stepfather did like draftsman stuff. Same, same thing. Right. Uh, didn't really want to show me or tag me or have me tag along. And so, you know, I, I've heard that my whole life, like, well, you should learn a trade. I'm like, I tried to learn a trade and all the tradesmen in my family told me to go to college. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and, and then when yeah. college didn't work out for me, then they came back and told me I should have learned a trade at 30 years old. I'm like, well, wow. you know, teach me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm still, still up. But yeah, I've always, I've always wanted to do something creative. Uh, I've always wanted to be like the kind of song and dance man, so to speak. So, so where did this, where, because, you know, when I've met you, you, you're, you're, I wouldn't say you're a somber guy, but you're mm-hmm. a very reserved dude. And there's a picture of Karl Marx on your wall. You know, you just kind of seemed like you had a lot of stuff going on in your mind. And I was like, you know, maybe this guy, like, I, I just did, I didn't know if you were approachable or if you were somebody I could really like you, but you, you're such a nice guy and such a, that's why I'm bringing it up is you're such a, a, a calm, relaxed guy, but you have this disposition that sometimes makes you look extremely serious. Like if I if I put you in a like in a 18th century jacket, you could literally be Karl Marx. We could just 
redo a, a movie of you being Karl Barks. I got I got like a resting mean face. <laughs> yeah, but but how has that affected you? Because I because I mean UCB all this stuff that's comedy, you know, and you are a comedic guy. You are a really really funny guy. Like, how has that been a challenge for you? Kind of like, you know. Sometimes I wonder if people don't take me serious for that reason, because I always look angry. Uh, I've worked in service industry the last 16 years. And yeah. A lot of people just assume I'm mad at them. But, uh, <laughs> oh, well, you got some interference there. <laughs> uh, and I think, like, I, I esteem unapproachable. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just kind of my... My face, just, my face kind of has a mind of its own. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I have I have the same feeling about my face. I mean, um, I, I remember. And I tried really hard to be able to lift my eyebrow. And I, like, worked in the mirror for, like, six months trying to be able to lift each eyebrow individually. And I did it so much that, like, I'd be at dinner out with my family or a family get-together. And my eyebrows would just be going kind of crazy. <laughs> It looked like you were on a guy that I think some people think I'm staring at them with yeah. a lazy eye. So it's kind of a Oh no. This um, has a lot of a lot of stuff going on. Now you do have um some adorable animals that live with you. You wanna talk about them? Uh I've got a cat, uh a little Persian cat. She's ten or eleven, I'm not sure. Uh Okay. Okay. Right now, she got happy with me. She had to get some teeth pulled out, so she has to wear a cone for two weeks. Oh, no. And, uh, yeah, like the first couple of days, she fought it. She kept trying to take it off, and now, like, she just kind of sits there defeated. Um, oh, no. So That's sad. Other than that, she's she's pretty cool, I guess. Uh, so so I'm, I'm curious, you know, because when we had first met, you were really nice enough to let us um, – use your podcast studio and that was very gracious of you but things kind of started to snowball you know like I noticed Mike was kind of asking more of you and like being like hey you know we're trying to make this film what kind of for you made you want to go down that road with us because I, I think maybe me and you had spoken like twice the entire time that I was doing the podcast in your home so like what I, was it for you that yeah I've always I've always wanted to do a film um yeah. You know, I, I've always I've always wanted to do film and comedy and, and, and all of it. And I've been trying to work with different people over the years and it just hasn't worked out. Mm. Uh, mm. A lot of people were flaky, whatnot. You know, I was living in Shreveport right. Uh, right after Katrina when essentially Hollywood South moved to Shreveport. Oh. Uh, I literally knew like 10 people who worked in that you know, uh, who worked in like, uh, I forget, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but you know, mm -hmm. like places like Hollywood or even New Orleans when there's a big film industry there, yeah. there's people that are liaisons between the industry and the mm -hmm. local government. Oh, yeah. oh I knew, okay, okay. I knew some of those people and I wow. still couldn't like get tapped in. Wow. Uh, I auditioned, I, I went to casting calls, uh, I had friends that were doing all sorts of stuff and like, I'd, I'd be like, hey, how do I... Get, oh, you just got to keep working hard. I'm like, cool. Uh, just like, <laughs> I am working hard. What do I, what do I do? And, and the whole time I was there during all that, I only got one role, uh, my car. My car got huh. a role in uh, huh. Harold and Kumar. Oh, uh, shit. Really? Holy so fuck. I, had, like, I worked one day. With, it, was, uh, it was the scene where Neil Patrick Harris gets stopped. By yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Up on the unicorn. Yeah, that was your car? car for like a split second. Oh, like three cars behind his. Oh, um, which it was like twelve hours of work. Most of it I sat and read. Yeah, and I made like two hundred bucks, so I can't complain. But yeah, like I've been, I've been, tr I've been trying to get into it. I came down here, I tried to get involved in different things, tried to work with different people, and kind of people kind of flaked out, and then. Well, you New, know, New Orleans sketches and like uh, Mike shot the that one commercial, right? And then shot the other sketch and then like told me about the movie and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm down. Uh, but a lot of people wonder like why I decided now to get into it. It's like I've been I've been trying to get into this industry for 20 years. <laughs> right, right, and it sounds like you've had quite a journey that's kind of taking you some different reservoirs of talent across the country from new york to chicago to shreveport when it was booming 
Um, I did go to Shreveport for one job because uh, it was uh, the job itself was actually in Gibsland, Louisiana, mm-hmm. um, which is where Bonnie and Clyde got murdered. Um, yep. it, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was the, the, the movie uh, Highwaymen. I was a uh, like uh, assistant. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was an assistant to the um, photo team from Netflix. They just needed an extra hand. So it was like three days, crazy money. I lived, uh, They put me up in that casino, that big like Persian-looking casino in Shreveport. Um, uh, the horseshoe? I think so. Like, listen, I'm from the north. I don't even know about like we don't even have casinos in Maryland. We just got our first one like a couple of years ago. Maryland or uh, I don't even know what it's called. Maryland Live or something. So me staying in the casino was like, what the fuck is this? I was like, am I in Vegas? Like, what the fuck? It was crazy. But um. That was my first experience in the Shreveport, and I remember people who were locals there um, were like, oh, yeah, there was so much work a couple of years ago. Like, it all just started mm-hmm. to dry up, like, blah, blah, blah. But they were like – I remember I met this um, Caucasian girl who was from Donaldson, Louisiana, that was this black – was – like, I was like, are you, like, mixed? Or like, her entire way of interacting with me was like a – black person from the south and i was like what is this like then there were like 15 other people like that who were lily white who were just like from this place called donaldson do you know where that is uh, vaguely but uh <laughs> what it, is it, that it, it does happen a lot in the south <laughs> what um, the fuck is that i've never seen that it, before in my life it's kind of a weird cultural thing uh yeah. i i used to get shit for saying word all the time <laughs> really but it's just like I mean, you know, I grew up in a white trailer park, and then after yeah. that, I lived in government housing, right? And two other neighborhoods where I was the only white kid. It was mostly right. uh, black and Hispanic. So, right. you know, when you're in second and third grade, you just kind of talk like everyone around you. Yeah, hundred percent. So, like, uh, there there are some areas where, like, you know, <laughs> I mean the. Uh, then we then we moved to Desoto Parish, which is just south of Shreveport, uh. and. And there's uh, it's 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 a very weird, unique place because it's like it's got your kind of redneck vibe. Yeah. Uh, you've got you know how you think groups of black and white people who speak mm. and act exactly how you think they would be from the south. <laughs> right, right. You've got, you've got some redneck cowboy black people. And yeah. You've got a lot of wiggers there. Right, uh, right. All and like I went to high school. Yeah. Middle school and high school with all those people. <laughs> yeah. What was that like uh, seeing? It's, it's just a weird collection of uh, of people. Um, but that's so interesting. Man. Much like bigotry, like any kind of bullying and hate was usually monetary because uh, huh. there were still a lot of wealthy people. I didn't realize I was poor until I went to high school. Um, ah. And what was that like? What was that? What was that experience like? That realization? Oh, you just kind of realize that you're just like, oh, okay. I mean, it really bothered me, but I just kind of like noticed it. Like, oh, I can't. I don't have my own car. I don't buy all my clothes at the mall. Right, uh, right, right. I don't have an extra two hundred dollars for a weekend. (laughs) Uh, Right. Yeah, it was kind of like that when I went to a small liberal arts college with a bunch of rich kids. Uh, but you know, you learn how to adapt to those people and kind of move around, uh, which is also good for acting. You learn how to be one of them. Right. Uh, right. Kind of one of the best things to do is, is adapt, uh, especially if you're going to live with certain people, um, yeah. especially when it comes to class, uh, yeah. there's a lot of divisions, but class is one that's like, I think one of the. I'm not going to say, I don't know how to say this. Uh, Racism is obviously horrible, Mm. but you notice racism a lot less when it's a bunch of poor Mm. folk living together. 100%. I've said this before, and I've said this on my old podcast. When it comes to classism, that that basically puts a magnifying glass on race, sexism, sexuality. It puts it makes a bigger... And and it's usually the people at the top are the ones that are like trying to get me and you to fight against each other. Of of course, uh, yeah. No, that's yeah. Put people together in, in, a, in a lower poverty setting. That kind of stuff is not at the forefront. I'm not going to say it's not there. I'm not going to say they're not racist poor people, but mm. it's usually not at the forefront. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was weird, like because um, 
Louisiana or when I when I was going to New Orleans from the north, like all my friends were like, "Man, dude, like you're gonna get lynched. Like, watch out. Like it's the South." I my whole family's from Florida, so I'm yeah. like, if I was gonna get lynched, it would have happened in South Florida. It would not have happened in Louisiana. Like I'm not scared of any of this shit. And I go there. There's some pockets here, but most of it is is. Yeah, it's pretty split up, pretty blended. Yeah, blended or split up. Like Louisiana has definitely there. You can tell that there has been a multiple hundred year history of people who don't look like each other living around each other. And whether that history is good or bad, it's it's still a history. Whereas if you go to places like Minnesota, where they have never seen a fucking black person before, or if you go to places like Northern Michigan. It's actually a lot harder to get around, um, whereas a place like Louisiana, y- you at least know where the social structure has defined you. Whether that's good or bad, you at least know. Um, yeah. So uh, one of the things, though, that um, I really learned when I was out there, um, specifically in New Orleans, was that the class issue was never brought up because I knew plenty of rich black people in New Orleans who couldn't tell you one bad thing that had happened to them with police or with anything, you know, live uptown, whatever the, maybe they're, you know, uh, recording artists or they're, you know, uh, football players or whatever they are. And they're living just like an old white man in Mississippi would be living. Nobody's bothering them, you know, mm-hmm. but then you go down to the seventh ward and you see the people who are, because in, in new Orleans, and, and I don't know if you would take this, um, offensively, but I do not believe that there is a working class in new Orleans. There is a ownership class and there's a slave class. In New Orleans, and it's the only place that I would say that um, still exists in this in this country. New Orleans is oh, a absolutely, especially how the industries uh, that are here work. Exactly, um, like you, you are a work for yourself or you're wealthy. Mm-hmm. And if you're not wealthy and you're, if you're not in either of those classes, you're someone who works for themselves. But a lot of those people that work for themselves are are rich kids that came down here. Exactly, they, exactly. They, they or the field. Exactly. The playground. Exactly. And, and that that was the impression I got from New Orleans back in those days in 2015 was that it was a playground for the rich. It was a killing field for the poor and anybody in between, you know, you you choose your character. Um, and it was and it was very much like that. I remember um, because Maryland is a through and through police state. Have you ever been to Maryland? I have not. Uh, I may have driven through there. My father was born in Maryland. Oh, OK. Where he you- was only there for uh, a year or two. My my grandfather was a federal police officer in D.C. back in the uh, wow. late fifties, early sixties. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, he had your last name. Did he look like uh, you? Kind of. That's cool, man. That's cool. But but yeah. Um. So, I, but I think I think my father technically lived there for like the first two or three years of his life. So he doesn't he he doesn't know anything besides Shreveport's. Right, right, right. And but now, and now, like you know, mid to South Louisiana. But yeah, like that's uh, where they where they lived for uh, like ten years. Wow. Yeah, no. Um, Maryland is a very violent police state, and the fact that like um, even where I grew up in the suburbs, which was by all accounts probably one of the greatest places in America to grow up. I mean, everybody was pretty much the same socioeconomic class. Um, like everybody was upper middle class, everyone worked for the government, except for my parents, they were by contract architects. So they worked for the government, but in by contract, like they weren't government employees. But everybody else that I knew was a government employee, white, black, Hispanic, Asian. So everybody was the same socioeconomic class. There were a few rich people, you know, a couple of landowners, a couple of people that came from rich families, but not a lot. And um, as a result of that, you know, you had very low crime rates. But when you have very low crime rates, and this is something I've noticed firsthand, that's why when conservatives say the opposite of this or anybody that's like pro-police says the opposite of this, I'm like, oh, well, then you didn't live like in a police state because I did. When there's low crime, police actually double up their monitoring of the society. Like instead of there being one car on the highway, there's two cars because there's one car that's going to try to look for regular crime. And there's another car that's going to just look for somebody speeding or somebody that's going 65 and a 60. Do you see how mm-hmm. it, it's, it, it, it starts to encroach on your daily life? Like there were cops giving out, you know, tickets for jaywalking. There was cops giving out tickets for, you know, smoking a cigarette near a park. There was, you know, just bullshit. And <clears throat> it was purely because we had such a low crime rate. 
Um, so you had these cops with these huge budgets scrambling to make themselves uh, relevant. Useful. useful, exactly. Useful, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was my entire upbringing. That was how I viewed cops as a young kid. It's like these are revenue collectors. They have no respect for their own communities. And these were and some of these cops like went to the same high schools that me and my friends went to. And the minute they joined that, you know, blue, you know, shield, they wanted to pretend like they didn't know anybody anymore. And oh, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rip up your car. It's it's so it was the weirdest. A couple of cops and and ran into a few of them. uh, One of them because my tire blew out in the highway. And yeah, the 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 dude fucking talked to me like a stranger, and I'm like, dude, we had homeroom together for six years. Yeah, and he's just looking at you with that blank. We know each other. Like yeah. Yeah. My family, like I, my uncle's big in the church that your father, who's also like the sheriff, goes to. But like, looked at me like I don't even know who you are. Like, yeah, cool man, awesome. What do you think that is, Chris? I mean, it's obviously kind of a power thing, or uh, or I don't know. Maybe he just forgot. I don't. I don't really know. But you did make an interesting point. Uh, how? Uh, when poverty wasn't uh, an issue, there was less crime. Oh, yeah. 110%. It's almost, it's almost like the two are related. Somehow. Right. It, it's almost like if people are poor, they're, they're more, more likely, likely to like. No, 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 no. It, it can't be that. It can't be that. It can't be that. It's, no. It's, no, it's eugenics, clearly. Um, some people are have a higher propensity to, cl- to crime than others. I mean, obviously. But um, anyways. Uh, but- <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a it's it's an interesting thing um, how there's just all these ideas of how the world works, mm. and the loudest ones come from people who are just kind of repeating what's told to them. Oh, for and sure. Even these people that are repeating these things probably have experiences like me and you that would completely negate it, but like you got to keep, you know, like some people were putting their political identity over literally everything else well i mean i i've known people who like were in the science field like i had a a friend who literally explained to me how how climate change works like down like but is now kind of lean more towards the right and become a trump supporter and 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 so that has taken over his background and now climate change isn't real right 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 it's it's crazy how people will try to change their reality well, I think this, follow these kind of uh, I call them cults. Yeah, cults. I um, think if, if you follow any political ideology, especially these days, it's it's more of cult thinking, uh, and it's kind of it's interesting to watch, uh, and it's also scary because uh, unlike other cults, these are directly affecting everything. And how it runs. <laughs> well, I, I have my own opinion about cults in general and that they were experiments conducted by the CIA to do exactly what's happening right now to basically do litmus tests on how to influence people and create what we now know as influencers. I think that's a completely pro- a well, byproduct. Of, sorry? It's working. Oh, yeah. Oh, it absolutely is. But here's my thing is that, um, you know, there's a kernel of truth in a lot of these – so-called like overly conservative like alex jones for example is like someone that people that the media and everyone will immediately jump on and say oh he's a racist he's a conservative he's this he's that but then you know i don't know if you saw a couple nights ago kanye west um had a presidential rally where he broke out into tears did you did you watch that i've I've seen, uh, seen clips of it on social media see that's the that's the deceiving thing it's the clips the clips take the worst parts out of his because people love doing this to him, and he sets himself up for it. I'm not, I'm not giving him any sympathy. Kanye sets himself up to be ma- to be mocked and memed because he doesn't flesh out his points. He just says buzzwords, even though like yeah. if you're following him, you get what he's trying to talk about, but he doesn't talk about it in depth. So he gets no sympathy for me. But it was interesting to see the cult like behavior. Um, like uh, a girl I'm very close to immediately was like. Oh no, he's crazy. I don't want to listen to him. And I'm like, well, did you actually like watch the whole video? And she's like, no, I don't want to listen to him. I was like, why? And she's like, oh no, because he's crazy. And I'm like, 
okay, but like you saw a 30 second clip of him crying. Like you don't know, like, you know what I mean? Like people are so quick. They want to put people in the crazy category and move on. Or they want to put people in the conservative category and move on. They want to, if it's not the late show with fucking John Mulaney, they don't want to know about it. You know, if it doesn't make them laugh or feel happy, you know, or if it's real gritty politics, people don't want to know the ins and outs of it. So What's it's interesting very- about the, 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 the mental health idea, because uh, lately um, a lot of people have become woke to yeah. the idea that mental health is a serious thing. Uh, right. You know, mental health was created uh, six years ago. Um, right. <laughs> and so they, they have this idea of like, you know, mental health is important. We need to make sure mental health. But like once you experience bad mental health, I, I deal with a lot of uh, depression. Like I've been yeah. diagnosed chronically depressed. Yeah. Once you're experiencing that and going through it, then they get kind of fucking weird about it. You know, like right. my mom uh, is, is uh, diagnosed bipolar. Uh, and like she'll have friends post like mental health is important, blah, blah, blah. But like if someone calls her and she's having an off day and she's like, I'm not really having a good day. I'm just going to get off the phone. Well, yeah. You know, yeah, we all have our ups and downs. You just need yeah. to be happy and go outside in the sunshine. It's right. Like, yeah, that, people tell me that all the time. Like if I'm, I'm having a down day, like you need to get sunshine. You, you need to go sit outside. And I'm like, I have. I have animals that live outside. I'm outside every day. <laughs> I ride my bike every day. I I, I repeat the mantras, the, the the stupid like you know everything will be okay. Yeah, yeah. I do all that. Shit. I exercise when I can. It's it's not that easy, but it's 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 you know I guess kind of bringing it back. It's that idea of I'm gonna use this like. You know, I guess one way to relate to what's going on is like, I'm going to yell Black Lives Matter. Yeah. I'm going to put a black square, but like, I'm going to roll my window up when I see a couple of black guys I don't yeah. know walking in my neighborhood, even right. though they probably are my neighbors. Um, yeah. 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 You know, you kind of do that with like mental health or, you know, they, they, they take these political identities as like, that's who they are. And like, listen, I don't give a fuck if you're a Republican, Democrat. I mean, you're both stupid for following any political party. Uh, right? Yeah. We're all kind of along the spectrum. and mm. But this whole, like, you know, this is your identity. Like, no, my identity is, like, my identity. I happen to believe in certain political stances. Mm. That's not my identity. Kind of like, you know, disagreeing on politics. Like, if I don't talk to someone, it's not because we disagree on politics. It's because we disagree on on human nature. Uh, yeah, right. Well, like, I think that's what politics is trying to masquerade itself as is mm-hmm. we are the answer to the human problems that you have where it's like no, politics mainly was sort of a kind of invention um coming out of like, you know, philosophy and coming out of, you know, debate and like, you know, Roman and, and Greek um kind of traditions of open discourse. Um, but mm-hmm. those have primarily been co-opted by corporations. So when people like talk to me about democracy, I'm like, you know, the only reason why you even know the word democracy is because Coca-Cola allowed you to know the word democracy. If a yep. Coca-Cola tomorrow said, we don't like that word anymore, we're, we're going to change the word democracy to Coca-Cola-ocracy, your kids would be saying Coca-Cola-ocracy. So- Not me, man. I'm a Pepsi bro. <laughs> But no, people have absolutely no idea how co-opted they are and how um, easily bendable they are. And um, this was kind of an open secret growing up where I grew up because a lot of people came from political families. But then when I go to Louisiana and I see people who are frothing at the mouth about political issues, like because even the conservatives that I knew, you know, even the people that did disagree with me on a fundamental fundamental level, understood that politics was theater. Like that was, yeah. I could still have a beer with them. We could still smoke some weed. We could still do some coke. We could still, you know, like I, as much as we hated each other's political ideas, if I went to the same high school as you, doesn't matter if your dad's a Republican representative, we're still boys. But going to Louisiana, I saw people that actually believed in the shit that these Republicans said. And I was like, oh, my God, that, that was my first real understanding of how damaging um, political rhetoric, rhetoric actually is, because it was all one big joke. As you as you get closer to DC, it's all one big fucking joke. But as yeah. you get farther away, the more serious it gets. 
And, oh, yeah. uh, and it's it's really weird and serious down here uh, for both parties. Yeah, what's um, happening in Louisiana? I mean, I know you guys got hit really hard with COVID, right? Yeah, but just as far as far as the parties, like you know, I, I hate both parties uh, for different reasons. But I've always I've always hated Republicans more the Republican Party, not mm. people who are Republican. Right, right, right. And the main reason is because I grew up in the South and like the local Republican parties in the South have like put out this full idea that like if you are not a Republican, you mm. hate America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hate God. <laughs> you hate patriotism. Like all this thing. Like my brother is about 20, very religious, very involved in the church. Yeah. But, you know, he's in college and he has gay friends and different things mm. like that. So he kind of understands, like, the world is not as black and white. Right, right, uh, right. And he's a registered Democrat. And, like, there are some people at his home church that are just shocked that he's... And my mom, who's spent her entire life avoiding politics for this very reason. Like, right. Her family was always like, and she would just like, yeah, no. And she, she mm -hmm. okay, cool. Like, I'm a Republican. Like, whatever you say, and like, just would ignore talking about it. Yeah. Is this uh, the best? how I got brought up to where, like, yeah. eh, both parties suck. The government's going to fuck you over no matter what you do. And that was how I was raised. Right. And in a world where you had to be a Republican to love America. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so it's kind of, it's, 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 Kind of like that in certain pockets. I'm not going to say everywhere, uh, but in certain pockets here. Uh, but it's it's just, I don't know, in the past 10 years, it's become to where there's so much hatred. And I think it is, I think the more I politics, the more I kind of moved towards D.C., right. technically speaking, where I realized, like, it is a joke. Yeah. They are for the same thing. You yeah. know, this whole, like, if you support Trump, we're not friends. Well, I understand that, and I'm not going to defend Trump. He's a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> There's people in the Democratic Party that are pushing his fucking ideas. Yeah. So, like, we should get rid of all of them. Yeah. There's no one, you know, he didn't fuck up America by getting no. elected. It, no. It's been yeah. fucked up since the beginning. But but it, it's such a comforting narrative. It's such a comforting. It's narrative. it's the same. It's the same thing the Republicans have. Like once yeah. we get rid of Obama, everything's fixed. Right. It, it's basically an easy way. It's kind of like the the reason conspiracy theories are big. And while if you research, you'll find that about half the conspiracy theories have a lot of truth to them. Um, but they're comforting because it's easier to think like. The whole world's fucked up because seven people were pulling all the strings rather than like there's eight billion people here and we're all selfish, retarded animals. <laughs> well, well, and money and power in there and we're just going to kill our own for it. And that's more comforting to think that everything's being controlled by a handful of people than the fact that like, no, this it, humans, <laughs> humans are the virus. But seriously, humans, <laughs> humans are the virus. Uh, we're terrible people. Um, and we're just getting worse and greedier. And uh, Do you think so? I, you know what I think we're getting more of is just disinterested in existing. I think the youngest of us in our generation, yeah. Um, we're, also, we're also magnified more. Um, yeah. I think that's one of the things. It's like now you can literally see now, – now every piece of shit human – Including myself, can put themselves up on social media and show their yeah. face and their stupid stuff to the world when yeah. you couldn't do that. You only have to see a handful of people. Uh, but we're, nah. I'd say society actually is slightly getting better. Uh, I would say so as well, even from my young age. We are getting greedy. I will stand by we are getting greedy. Yeah, and I think that's what COVID kind of put the, put, the, put the cap on was right before COVID, I remember in January – Things were particularly out of whack. There was a lot of excess. There were a lot of not real stocks making a lot of money. There were a lot of people who've put no. I mean, this is just the American ethic, but there were a lot more people who were putting nothing into the economy, into the economy, and getting billions back. And like they had kind of been tapping that well since like 2010, 
and had been doing well, but you can't have a decade of just unmitigated growth without some kind of a backlash. So when I saw COVID and how it was uh, reacting to the stock market, I was like, oh, well, this is our penance. This is what we get for inflating everything, making everything way more valuable than it actually is, people creating fortunes based off of nothing. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I have no – the American capitalist gets zero um, uh, tears from me. I mean, if you lo- – I don't even care if your great-granddaddy was a coal miner. If you've been making your money off capital gains for the past you know, two generations and now you can't, oh, I'm sorry. I guess you're going to have to yeah. f- roll up your sleeves and work. I don't know. Isn't it funny that those are the people pushing the economy and they're the ones who talk about hard work and like oh, yeah. they really made their money through things like capital gains through the stock market, which is a complete sham, yeah, partially made up uh, through currency manipulation and, you know, just through owning like, oh, I own this building. So, you know, everything that happens in this building, I get most of it. Yeah. And I mean, those are the people that love. And they it. wonder why. Yeah. Our generation is moving back towards the ideas of socialism. And yeah. as someone who's not a moron, I understand where those ideas can go wrong. But it's basically the core principle where labor is king. Exactly. Labor is create, even creative labor. But like, you well, know, they, I should make more money if I sing into a microphone rather than the guy who presses pl- uh, record. Yeah. I'm not saying that guy shouldn't make any money. Exactly. But or, you know, he definitely shouldn't make more. But this whole idea of, like, labor is, it seems, you know, as someone who's worked in restaurants, the person who does the most laborious work mm. usually makes the little money. Yeah, I mean, it's the same in any major corporation. Your first starting position is going to be the hardest one that you ever do for that entire time that you work there. And then the second you get a promotion or you get two promotions, now you, your, your work week has gone from 60 hours to 20 hours. And basically, you're in a managerial position where all you're doing is looking at spreadsheets all day. And then you want to come back and tell me, oh, man, if you just work a little bit harder, I'm like, you haven't worked hard in three fucking years. What are you talking about? Um, so you, you get a lot of that kind of dissonance um, in a lot of corporations. And that's how they're designed. They want you, uh, you know, as you get further indoctrinated into that uh, corporation to become more and more removed from the actual labor change so that you don't identify with it. You identify with the executive class so that you'll protect the executive class. Hey, we there? That's why we need uh. to burn down more banks. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, no, for sure. We're actually at the end of the podcast. I wanted to ask you a couple of quick questions, man. First of all, what's the biggest conspiracy? What's oh, the- okay. I thought you were asking what bank we should burn down first. Yeah, J- well, Chase for sure. Chase. Yeah, J.P. Morgan Chase for sure. Um, they were the ones that defrauded uh, Detroit. I was actually there when they did it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working at Quicken Loans, and uh, J.P. Morgan Chase put in a, a, I think it was like a five hundred million dollar loan to the city of Detroit, which is like that's basically creating a, a debt slave economy within that city for the next like ten, you know, ten to twenty years. And it was like, yeah, oh yeah, just doing how loans and debt actually worked. What'd you say? I said if, if if most Americans understood how loans and this whole right. debt economy works, they they'd probably be wanting to join us in burning down the banks and not not regurgitate the whole like oh you know you take a loan out you better pay it back like yeah it's not how that works. Uh, well, well, <laughs> well, you know what happened, Chris? Uh, we've got a good so- the soberization of America has happened. We haven't been watching any sports. There's no more bread and circuses, and there's no movies getting made. People are com- football to come back. I'm not gonna lie. I know as as much as we all would, it would give us some sense of normalcy. But since we don't have that, what do you think all those people are doing right now? They're not twiddling their thumbs. They don't have jobs. They're on the internet. They're reading about stuff. They're becoming political. So we're creating a whole new political awakening just by removing all the distractions that were typically keeping us at bay from each other. So well, I think. That is- True. There's also a lot of garbage on the internet disguised as political discourse. 100. percent Yeah. A lot of it's being like sent my way, and I'm just like, <laughs> simple Google search would debunk most of this. What, what do you typically hear? What's what's a running like? I mean, right now it's the whole COVID, all the COVID conspiracies, the 5G. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 5G. Yeah, I love that one. That's my favorite you know, one. 
there's a lot of stuff about Epstein and pedophiles and which is all um, real. All that stuff's real. All that stuff's all well, real. all that stuff is real. And the whole pedophile thing, it's just when I see it, it's it, it conveniently is one sided. It's like there's no conservatives or Republicans ah, okay. who are involved in this. It's all Hollywood and Democrats. And I'm like, I'm sure there are Hollywood and Democrat people involved, but you can't tell me there are no businessmen. Right, 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 right. Uh, and and it's all with this QAnon. I don't know if you've. Oh yeah, big, big time, big, big time, big time. How Trump is like got elected, to save us from all mm-hmm. this stuff. And I'm like, you know, you know, he's been on that island a lot of times. Uh, yeah. He's um, had numerous, uh, <laughs> well, here's the weird thing about Trump. Here's the weird thing but, about yeah, one one side of conspiracies because there's a lot of conspiracy yeah. theories that are like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the whole killing of JFK, absolutely. That was not no fucking lone gun. That was that was his own country, and there's so many things that point to that. Uh, but a lot of people like to take the conspiracies and push it to where to manipulate what little truth is in there right? for what's well, this group of people. That's the ones who did this or this group of people. Uh, yeah. People like the simple answers. People like the simple answers, but Hey, Chris, I, I want to get you back on again. I think we've just gotten started. We're hitting the hour right now. Um, but I did want to see if uh, you wanted to come back on again. We could just keep talking, man. All right. What do you want to talk about? I don't know. Let's let's because uh, I, I think you're a pretty political guy. So I, I wanted to get more of your backstory this time. But I think now that we're through that, let's next let next podcast. Let's just dive into some conspiracy theories, shit that's been making you mad on the news. I want to hear your opinions on that stuff. I do believe that everyone not only has the right to bear arms, but nuclear weapons. OK, well, that's good. I think that's a great I, place to jump. I'm all about equality. OK. <laughs> if the Pentagon can have them. Why can't I? And now you'll say that seems dangerous. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in support of that. I think uh, we should have uh, the right to personal nuclear proliferation. So I think uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's a good starting base for uh, next, next, uh, next uh, episode. But uh, anyways, Chris Heath Far- Parham, uh, thanks again for coming on. And this was the end with Adam. Thanks again, everybody. And, uh, mm-hmm. I'm also available for birthday parties. And he is also available for birthday parties. We'll have his information in the bio. All right, everybody. Here we go.